about the whole issue of slavery in the Roman world in the church. And so he says to the slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. Now, these earthly masters could be Christians. These earthly masters more than likely were not Christians. And so Paul's reference to them is that these slaves are to be obeying their earthly masters in everything and do it not only with their eye, when their eye is on you to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as you are working for the Lord, not men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there's no favoritism. Now, Paul, in the first uh, verse in chapter 4, says to, if we could, I think we would probably say, those who own slaves, masters, provide for your slaves what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Now, that was sent out at the same time Paul is writing this letter to Philemon. Now, I'm concerned today to wrap up this epistle by trying to answer the questions, what is Paul asking of Philemon? I think every one of us wants to know, what is this man Paul in prison asking this man Philemon all the way back in Asia Minor concerning his slave, this man Onesimus. So Paul in verse 8 of Philemon says, Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love, I then, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains, Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that your favor, so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good, no longer a slave, but better than a slave as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do not wish, brother, that I may have, I, I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I am writing to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. Now, 
The point that we're seeing in all three of these men's lives, Paul, Philemon, and Onesimus, is Christ has come into their lives. Christ has become the master of all three of these men. And Jesus, in coming into Philemon's life, has made Philemon particularly a blessing, a blessing to Paul, a blessing to the church there in Laodicea, and a blessing to the Christians in that area in general. Now, Onesimus has come to know Jesus through Paul's personal influence in his life, and now this man is returning with these letters, probably the letter of Ephesians, the letter of Colossians, and this letter to his master, Philemon, He is returning with these letters and with the pastor of the church of Colossae, a man by the name of Epaphras. So he's going to be making approximately a thousand-mile journey from Rome back to Asia Minor where his home is located. Paul is writing to Philemon. He is now doing what every good counselor does in every counseling situation. You know what that is? Well, it was when, when, when we were little league players back in South Florida, they would pass the offering plate, you know, to fund little league and all that stuff. You remember how they would pass the bucket? Well, our announcer said it this way when he'd say, we're going to pass the bucket, dig deep, and drag slowly. Every good counselor in every counseling situation has to dig deep and drag slowly. In other words, the counselor is bringing to bear on this situation every experience that they have ever experienced in helping people. And that's what the Apostle Paul is doing here. Jesus has mastered Paul's life, and Paul has been a help to multitudes of people, and now all of that experience is being funneled into the writing of this letter of communication to this man, Philemon. Now, in verses 8 through 11, the first thing that we are seeing is that Paul is saying to Philemon, you need to recognize Onesimus as a Christian and as a brother in the Lord. Now, you can look there. You say, I'm sending him back to you. He's my very heart. He's my child. I've borne him in these chains and all the things that are being said to him. But he is going to be not merely a slave as you get down into verse 16, but a brother in the Lord. Now, I just want you to think about this for a minute. I want you to ask yourself the question, is this going to be difficult? Is Philemon going to find this difficult? And I think we would have to say absolutely. This man, Onesimus, has is his reputation as a slave. He was useless. Then he's a runaway And potentially, he was a pilferer or a thief as he ran away. And now he's coming back. And what is coming back? Well, he doesn't know. 
Now, again, what we're saying, what has Paul got to do? He's got to dig deep, and he's got to drag slowly. But as he does this, where does Paul begin? Any good counselor is always bringing in his own personal life experiences. Do you remember a man named Saul of Tarsus? Do you remember a man who the entire church feared? And that man was a Christian. He became a Christian. And God, the Lord Jesus, spoke to a man named Ananias in Damascus and said, Ananias, I want you to go to this place and I want you to meet this man Saul of Tarsus. And Ananias says to the Lord. Now, I'm not, I don't know what you would do if the Lord talked to you. I tend to like to think that would be one of the few times that I might actually shut up. <laughs> Some of you wish that that would happen more often, I know. But I think I would. But Ananias knows about Saul of Tarsus, and he's saying, Lord, you want me to go see Saul of Tarsus? you got to be kidding me. Is this a joke? No, it wasn't a joke. All right, so Ananias goes and builds a bridge to this man who's tried to destroy the church. Now the people in Jerusalem are hearing the man who tried to destroy the church has now become a preacher of Jesus Christ. And they're saying, this is a setup. This is a trick. This man, Saul of Tarsus, is going to infiltrate and get all the names. And then he's got all of us. They didn't believe it. And so a man named Barnabas came alongside Paul and brought Paul and the church leaders together. Is it difficult? It's difficult. Had Paul experienced this? Yes. Is Paul shy about using his influence? No. Careful, but not shy. So now Paul is beginning to speak here. Now, there's an interesting little translation problem in verse 9. In verse 9, there's the statement that Paul is an old man. Now, you might just kind of think and say, well, that is what you and I might call a little maudlin, a little sentimental, throwing that in there. Yeah, why do you do that? Is that a little touchy-feely thing, you know? You know, I, I think of some of the old men that I know, and in reality, they don't like to play the old man card. <laughs> they don't think that's what they like to do. I don't, I'm not real sure that that's what's happening here. Listen to this. There is a Greek word, and it's presbyteros. That's the word we get elder from. In its just most common use, it means somebody who is elder, older. Now, there's another Greek word, and it's like presbyteros. There's an E in there, not presbyteros, but presbyteros. That word means ambassador. There's one little word, one little letter in the word, in the middle, an epsilon, and sometimes the commentator said that given the context, 
a person would not put that epsilon in the word. And people would know this meant ambassador. And when you read the context and you understand what's happening here, it makes a lot of sense that Paul isn't calling himself an old man. He's calling himself an ambassador. And I think that's the way we ought to look at this particular passage of Scripture. Paul is functioning as an ambassador. We can see that. Now, as we look at this, we think of ourselves and we think of problems that we're involved with other people. Being willing to be in the middle. Being willing to be in the middle. I think I mentioned my brother as a policeman said the worst place to be in a domestic dispute was in the middle. You don't know who's going to shoot you. So being in the middle is, is a place that takes faith. Being in the middle is being useful to Jesus Christ. You know, when you see people and there's nobody getting involved and there's nothing happening and nobody's going to step in where angels fear to tread, there isn't going to be any change. But when Christians allow themselves to be in the middle, then the things of God in Christ are able to flow through those people. They become Jesus' ambassador in this problem. Being willing in the, in the, to uh, get involved like this is to come alongside a Christian brother or a Christian sister. Uh, it's also the opportunity to be involved in confronting something of a moral, spiritual wrong that needs God's intervention and touch. It's not easy. A pastor came to me and asked me to get in the middle. He had left the church. His sin had become discovered. It was grievous. He loved the church. The church loved him. There was a grievous sin. The pastor took and wrote an extended confession of his sin and at the end a very concise asking for forgiveness and the ability to continue to be a part of the church even though he wouldn't be the pastor. A church this size, two services, we went down beside the pulpit, I stood to his left, he stood to my right, we faced the congregation, and I said, your former pastor has asked me to read this statement. There was no way in the world he could have personally read this. So I read this long statement, and then I said, now I want you to listen. He is asking, asking you for your forgiveness. And I read his statement asking for forgiveness. I turned to him and I said, does this confession represent your heart? And he says, it does. I turned to the congregation and I said, I'm asking you by a show of hands to demonstrate your willingness 
for your pastor to continue to be a part of this church. They raised their hands, and then they began to sing spontaneously what song? Doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. But you've got to get in the middle. I mean, this was not an easy place to be. This is what Paul is doing here. He's working for a Christian brother in a Christian context to bring right where there has been wrong. We see this example here in Paul's asking one Christian to accept another person as a Christian. The second thing Paul asks for is that Onesimus to be sent back to Paul's to serve his needs in prison. We see that in verse 12 and 13. I'm sending him, but I did not want this. I would like to keep him here so that he could serve me in my chains. So he's basically saying, I'm sending him to you. Now, he could have done this in a letter, but this wouldn't have been appropriate. He does what's appropriate. He sends this man, Onesimus, back with a letter But he's asking that Philemon send Onesimus back to him in order that Philemon could minister to Paul's needs in prison through this man, Onesimus. What is Paul doing here? Well, he's acting out the verses that he has learned from the life of Jesus and the teaching of Jesus. He's asking a number. I've, I've got down here something like six questions, six requests he's making of this man Philemon. You know, that almost sounds like Abraham interceding for Lot. You know, that, that, that story where, you know, Lord, if there are 50 there, will you spare the city? For, yeah, I'll spare. Well, how about if there's 45? Well, yeah, for 40. Well, Lord, I know that I've asked you, but let me try something else. What if there's five lacking? Will you do? No, I won't do it for 40. And it just keeps going, and you're going, wow, this guy, Abraham, must really believe the Lord is going to answer his requests. You know, we shouldn't be ashamed of asking people to do what's right. And we may have to ask it on a number of different levels. But that's what Paul's doing. What what does the text say? Jesus says, you have not. Yeah. Seek and you will knock and it will be. Ask and you will. What's he? Where did Paul get this? And I would say to you, this is the way we need to think about things. We're thinking Christ's thoughts after him. I'm not up to it. I don't have this kind of wisdom. But we're making an appeal to things that are a commonly shared belief, a commonly shared experience, a commonly shared set of values that come from the mouth of our Lord himself. And Paul is doing that. And that's the way he is dealing with this whole issue. It's certainly not Paul. Let's let's just make sure we understand something. In this culture of demands 
in expectations, in performance, in instantaneous types of people imposing upon one another the way of the scripture, the way of Jesus, the way of faith is the way of asking. It's the way of asking. And we need to learn that we don't impose. Paul said, I could use my authority. But no, that's not right. It's the way of asking. And so he moves this ahead that way. Third thing, Paul asks for a welcome of this returning runaway. So he says, as he comes back, he's coming back to you better than as a a slave. He's coming back as a son. He's coming back as a brother. He's coming back uh, as, as as an entirely much better person. Maybe for this reason he was separated from you by God. All of that aspect of thinking about the story of, of the way Joseph went into Egypt. But there's more here. There's more than just that. Here's the picture of the prodigal son. It's just here. The, prodigal fa- the father of the prodigal, he went away. He took all the money that was due him. He spent it in wasteful living. And then he comes back. And in, in, in the language that Paul is using here is so very reminiscent of that. He is putting these ideas of what Philemon knows about Jesus in saying, Philemon, towards Onesimus, you need to be like Jesus. You need to be like this father who's going to welcome this returning runaway. There's many things that could be said here, but it's never, ever wrong to ask for what is right. It's never wrong to ask for what is right. Fourth thing I see is in verse 18, there's some impropriety here. And there's the whole issue of restitution And Paul brings this to the surface. Sometimes when things like this happen, we talk about the spiritual and we leave out the physical dimension. But there is a very real physical dimension here. And so there's the the sense here of asking for this to be just totally exonerated, to be uh, restitution, to be not required. Paul uses his own personal relationship and says, Philemon, you know what you owe me. Think about it. I'm asking, this man doesn't owe you near what you owe me. For my sake. For my sake. And again, it's not an easy thing. I would tell you, you should not use this as a law. It's merely an example. It can be done. It doesn't mean it must be done. It was done, but it doesn't mean it should be done at all times. Um, There's a story that I like of a a little girl who had an endearing grandfather whom she loved to go to grandfather's house and hang out. 
Apparently the grandmother was gone. And you know how grandfathers can be with a little girl, right? You know how that can be? So the little girl wanted to play marbles back when they put them in a circle. And he, she, the grandfather says, you sure you want to do this? He says, yeah, I want to play, play marbles, Grandpa. You sure you want to do this? Yeah. Okay. How long do you think it was before Grandpa had all of granddaughter's marbles? How long do you think it took? Not long. Now, what do you think the little girl thought? What did she think? What's Grandpa going to do? He's going to give them back. Day came, Grandpa didn't give the marbles back. Next visit, Grandpa didn't give the marbles back. Months later, Grandpa never gave the marbles back. Grandpa's on his deathbed. He says to the little girl, what did you learn? I learned if you gamble, you lose. He says, you can have your marbles back. <laughs> Restitution isn't something that a Christian just has to give. And it can't be demanded. It may be asked. But it has to be left in the hands of the person who has been wronged. And it may not be right. That grandpa was right and what he did was a hard lesson but he taught somebody a life lesson but Paul is asking this Paul is taking Onesimus's debt I wonder where he got that from Jesus took how much of our debt all of it. Fifth thing, in verse 20, Paul asked Philemon to relieve Paul of any anxiety over this whole matter. He says, refresh me. If a person is asking for refreshment, they must not feel refreshed. He's anxious about all of this. This is a real relationship. This is a real problem. And Paul is saying, please relieve me of this anxiety. Do what is right. Just please do what is right. And in all of this appeal, it's all an appeal to what is right in the eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ. The last thing is Paul here goes one step further. And he says in verse 21, confident of your obedience. He's not demanding. He's only asking. And now he's calling it obedience. It can't be obedience to Paul. It's got to be obedience to Christ. He says, confident of your obedience to Christ, I write to you. 
knowing that you will do even more than I ask. What is Paul asking? What, what one more thing could Paul have in mind? The commentators say, almost without exception, free Onesimus and allow him to freely come back and minister to me. That's what Paul's asking for here. And this epistle has been used through the Christian centuries to understand this awful situation of human bondage. It inspired people like William Wilberforce. It inspired people in wherever there has been or wherever there will be slavery. These texts will be appealed to. One thing that we've got to be clear in looking at this text, Paul cannot make any appeal directly to the Roman government. It's not a Christian government. We try to do things through the government, not as Christians, it's not going to work. Sometimes people try to appeal through the church. Just the church will make this happen. Doesn't seem to be the appeal of Paul. Paul's appeal is as a Christian to another mature Christian to do what is right. It is in the small steps of our relationship that a culture is transformed. It is not in these steps of a government or even a church-mandated change that things can happen like this. But they happen as the Holy Spirit speaking through the word that has now been given to us as the word of God that comes into our hearts and changes our hearts and changes our mind and changes our culture. This to me, is one of the most beautiful letters that Paul ever wrote. It is one of those letters that is hardly ever referenced. The subject is just not what we want to deal with. It's a real subject that was thoroughly dealt with to instruct us in all of our Christian thinking. Let's pray. Father, bless us and help us to see your will through this amazing story of Philemon, Onesimus, Paul, and Jesus. May that be our story all the days of our life. We pray in his name. Amen.